Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, remembering Bill Roos. The longtime chief executive of Blanchard Valley Hospital died last week, but his lasting impact on the health and well-being of the community he loved will be felt for generations to come. Also this morning, kids are heading back to school, and that means a half million big yellow buses back on America's roads. With so much attention about alternative fuel vehicles to protect the environment, what about the country's largest public transportation network? And after an adventure-filled summer, the Boy Scouts are busy gearing up for an exciting autumn schedule, including welcoming new members. Scout executive Mark Kogan will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, September 6th, 2022. The thing that I love about uh, the Labor Day holidays, same thing, a Memorial Day holiday and, and uh, other things, we eliminate the Monday from the week. I love it when that, when that happens. We eliminate the Monday from the week. And the uh, side bonus of the long holiday weekend is a short work week that follows. So uh, first day of a uh, holiday shortened week today. Thank you very much for the uh, holiday. We like that. And uh, back in the studio this morning, after uh, spending most of last week on location, put the wraps on the Hancock County Fair yesterday, which all all in all was a, uh, a really great week. I mean, I know that there was a little bit of weather on uh, Sunday and not so much yesterday, but uh, but Sunday uh, was a was a bit soggy, and I know they had to uh, cancel the tractor pulls as a result, and and so on, which was kind of disappointing. Uh, my wife and I actually went to the fair on Sunday, and uh, it was still it was not a bad crowd. I mean, for the fact that it was raining much of the day, but uh, all in all, it was a great week for the fair, and kudos for uh, to everyone who pulled it off, made it happen as always, and uh, hard to believe. Wrap it up. Where did the summer go? Where did the summer go? I mean, it just seems like yesterday, my wife and I were talking about heading over to the Putnam County Fair at the beginning of the summer, <laughs> and here we are, the tail end of the summer now. But uh, in any event, today, the sixth day of September, is Read a Book Day. It is also National Coffee Ice Cream Day. Coffee Ice Cream Day. Okay. Fight Procrastination Day. Today it is Barbie Doll Day and Great and the Great Egg Toss Day, which I'm guessing there's a story behind, but I don't I don't have it and I don't have time to look it up, so we'll just put that there. Great Egg Toss Day. Yeah, right. So, uh now that we are past Labor Day, make sure that as you're uh, getting up and and uh you know, getting dressed uh, this morning and planning out your wardrobe, whether it's first day of school or back to work or whatever it might happen to be, no white, right? Um, because uh, Labor Day is the day we are supposed to stop wearing white traditionally. Uh, do you know why it is a faux fashion faux pas to wear white after Labor Day? Well, the senior lifestyle writer for Vogue magazine, Elise Taylor, uh, says when this fashion edict began, uh, it essentially goes back to the Gilded Age in the progressive era, uh, late, uh, right around 1890 to the early 1900s, 
And like so many trends, it began in the elite circles of New York City, she says. Uh, Those elite city dwellers had the money to vacation at the beaches, uh, like in Newport, Rhode Island. Is it? Some of Newport. Uh, But they didn't have shorts or tank tops to beat the heat, so they would wear white clothes to stay cool. Then once vacation was over, they returned to wearing darker attire in the city because the dirt and grime would stain their white clothes. And that's the genesis of the uh, idea that you don't wear white after Labor Day. It says wearing white was also a status symbol, and because the wealthy put away these clothes, those not of their class took notice and began doing the same. And it snowballed into this edict of style when it was always... It was always about practicality uh, to begin with. It says, if you look back at uh, publications of the time, there was no official edict not to wear white after Labor Day. It was more a practical thing. Uh, Still, the idea persisted, and fashion influencers say this tradition has long overstayed its welcome. Lifestyle and etiquette expert Elaine Swan says on the basis of etiquette rules, this notion to stop wearing white after Labor Day does not have a place in the 21st century. So instead, she recommends have having fun with it. Select the color that works best for your skin, skin tone and uh, for your environment and you know, wear whatever you like. So I think that's probably what most of us have done anyway. Is there anybody... Uh, do you know someone who takes that seriously, you know, not wearing white after Labor Day and and really considers that a, a fashion faux pas? I don't I don't really know anyone who deliberately says I am not wearing white after Labor Day. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there are some people I don't, I don't know. Speaking of fashion, uh, did you happen to see this? Um, a new collaboration between Heinz, the ketchup people and thread up. The clothing line. They have launched a ketchup stained line of clothing. (laughs) Now, I thought that when people started buying pre-torn jeans, you know, the uh, uh, jeans with the holes in the knees (laughs) that were that were there when you bought them uh, instead of I mean, in we were kids, you get the, you know, the the knees and your jeans that get worn through and threadbare that meant it was time to get rid of the jeans get a new pair now they buy them that way off the rack and i thought that was crazy how about this the vintage drip collection contains 157 different pieces and include pre-loved articles of clothing each piece has a ketchup mark (laughs) on it uh, Heinz, though, says it is not a stain. It is a statement. <laughs> According to ThreadUp, uh, the uh, clothing retailer that is marketing this, 62% of Gen Z and millennials look for secondhand items before purchasing new. And uh, so with that in mind, <laughs> they have pre-stained uh, ketchup stained clothing. Yeah. Uh, you can get the Heinz Vintage Drip Collection from ThreadUp's website beginning September 13th. So, next week, they go on sale. (laughs) 
not in time for back to school. You would think that they would put that, uh, you know, on their on their website in time <laughs> to uh, make it go viral for uh, back to school. I don't know. Anyway, uh, another item here that is uh, beauty related. I thought this was very interesting. Although major retailers are seeing customers shopping less, we're starting to cut back because of uh, economic concerns and and so on. Money's tight, the inflation and all of that. So consumers have been buying less, but there is one exception to the trend of consumers buying less. Beauty products. Walmart says they have seen strong sales in their cosmetic department. Ulta Beauty has reported a 17% increase in sales this quarter compared to last year. Now, why is that, you ask? Because you would think that uh, vanity particularly would take a backseat when times are are tough, um, that that would be something that would be an, a, a, an expense that you could cut back on, but not so. Uh, it is a theory known as the lipstick index. Economists have a word for this, the lipstick index. And uh, it goes like this, that in times of economic downturn, lipstick sales actually go up. And by extension, all cosmetics uh, sales actually go up. The idea is that Americans may be seeking inexpensive indulgences instead of more costly ones. So it could be uh, lipstick. Uh, It could be a $5 Starbucks drink, which if you indulge too often, obviously adds up. But every now and then, it is an indulgence that's not going to cost an exorbitant amount of money. Uh, Maybe a more expensive beer, a craft beer that'll cost a little bit more than just a regular old Budweiser. And uh, things things like this we will indulge in because we can't go on a tropical vacation or something. So we'll have these little indulgences to make up for that. Um, and there is a long history of this, not just right now when inflation is high and things are getting tight, uh, during the great recession of the early two thousands, we saw makeup sales spike and all the way back to the great depression makeup sales, uh, were very strong. So there is some precedence to this. I thought it was kind of interesting. So uh, back to school day today, as we mentioned, for a lot of students, the day after Labor Day, day number one of the school year. And that, of course, uh, brings back all of the concerns uh, that go along with uh, going back to school, school and so on. A school district in Southern California has been ordered to pay $1 million in damages to a teenager who was bullied by other teens at her middle school, a Los Angeles Superior Court jury ruled that the El Segundo Unified School District was negligent in training and supervising staff who failed to protect 13-year-old Ellery Irons for more than six months from late 2017 uh, to the end of the school year in 2018. What the lawsuit referred to as torture began when teachers failed to act after learning about a petition that had been circulated around the school entitled, Let's Kill Ellery Irons. 
began circulating in school, was brought to the attention of teachers, and they reportedly did nothing about it. The uh, attorney for the uh, girl and her family said when her parents asked school officials for help uh, with the bullying that their daughter had been experiencing, their concerns were dismissed as drama over a teenage love triangle. So, uh, Ellery is uh, is fine, uh, thank goodness, but uh, the jury definitely sending a message there that uh, school officials need to take this more seriously. Uh, I think if you ask, I, I would hope that if you would uh, ask most teachers, most ad- school administrators uh, about something like this, especially, you know, that sounds that sounds very uh, serious. I mean, kids getting picked on in school is as old as school itself. And I don't know that we'll ever be able to completely eliminate that, as sad as that is. I think it's part and parcel to growing up is learning where the lines are and they will get crossed from time to time. But circulating a petition called Let's Kill Ellery Irons seems a little extreme. That needs to be addressed. And uh, finally, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, this is going viral online and with good reason. A news anchor in Oklahoma uh, is going to be okay after suffering uh, the uh, early... Uh, origins of a stroke on live TV. Julie Chin was uh, anchoring the news over the weekend when she was suddenly unable to read the words in front of her on the teleprompter. She said she lost partial vision in one eye, her hand and arm went numb, and this all happened live on the air. Uh, She said uh, her doctors told her it wasn't a full stroke, So she should be back in the anchor chair very soon. But thank goodness someone there on the staff uh, caught on on to the signs and uh, got her medical attention right away. The uh, video is uh, pretty dramatic. If you have not seen this, people are buzzing about this. And it just uh, serves as a reminder to take those warning signs seriously. Interesting stuff there. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly cloudy skies are expected today, a high of 76. Skies will be partly cloudy tonight, a low of 61. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office says a deputy used a taser on a drunk driver after a short vehicle pursuit. It happened in Macomb after a deputy observed the SUV driving with no headlights on, tried to pull it over, but it sped off. The pursuit lasted less than a minute through residential areas and came to an end in a parking lot. The sheriff's office says a 31-year-old driver from Macomb failed to comply with the deputy's orders and the deputy deployed a taser on the man and he was taken into custody. Get more on the website. Two people who were crucial to the success of the Hancock County Fair over the years were honored for their many years of service. A special tree dedication was held for longtime fair manager Dave Thomas and longtime assistant office manager Nicole Hoffman. It made it extra special that once they were announced, they had that standing ovation and the whole place erupted. And it was it was very well deserved because they are really great individuals. Fair and events manager Haley Reese says Dave and Nicole were the faces of the fair for many years and responsible for making it as great as it is. Get more on the website. 
U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio has been talking with Ohio farmers about what should be included in the next farm bill. The previous farm bill was passed in 2018 as the Agriculture Improvement Act. It provided farmers with funding, invested in local food businesses, and established a program to make healthy food more accessible. To alleviate that tension and pressure and allow families to focus on their children rather than how am I going to pay my rent this month is the difference between night and day for our country. One item Brown says he has considered is free school lunches for children, but he says he'll need more bipartisan support for that to make it to the final draft of the bill. Onan's Yolanda Harris. The Ohio Department of Natural Resources is reminding people not to release aquarium fish into natural waters. The ODNR is issuing the reminder after a huge goldfish was found in Lake Erie. The ODNR says releasing aquarium fish into the state's natural waters can have a negative impact on native species. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, this morning we are remembering Bill Roos, the longtime chief executive of Blanchard Valley Hospital, who passed away last week, but his lasting impact on the health and well-being of the community he loved will be felt for generations to come. We are joined this morning by the current president CEO of Blanchard Valley Health System, Myron Lewis, and uh, the vice president of special projects for uh, BVHS, Dr. Bill Coase. And uh, Dr. Coase, I actually want to start with you because I know you uh, worked with uh, Mr. Roos on multiple levels uh, over the years, multiple capacities uh, over the years. Uh, Talk about what it was like to work and and that evolving type of relationship from the time when you were a young physician right out of residency up to right you know, kind of the position you hold now well first i met bill because he was the one that recruited a group of us from columbus there were 10 of us that were looking for a place in ohio mm-hmm. and we ended up coming to finley so i met him right away yeah one of the things that he provided bill had a lot of foresight thinking about what was needed that time there wasn't anybody being employed we all went into private practice but we needed a place to stay Mm -hmm. a place to practice and bill obtained land west of the hospital where he built uh, condominiums that we ended up practicing in then i got to know bill from being on the board of trustees working Mm -hmm. at the medical staff yeah and then went over as the medical officer in the early 90s part-time so had a lot of uh a lot of time with him, talking about strategy, talking about the medical staff and things like that. It, it strikes me, and hearing people talk about uh, his sort of leadership style, uh, I, I worked for a guy one time who would always say, we've all heard that expression, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And and he would say, if it ain't broke, break it yourself and make it better, because he always felt that there was a way to make things better. It struck me that Bill was kind of the same Well, he certainly was innovative, and he was a futurist. I mean, he thought about things that needed to be changed, and there's uh, Myron, I'm sure, will talk about some of the things. Integration, I mean, it used to be you just had a hospital. His idea was we bought Weinbrenner, we got into home health and hospice. There were lots of things to try to, I I guess, integrate the patient flow. He had ideas about uh, doing outpatient surgery. We were one of the... First hospitals, I think we may have been in the newspaper about stopping smoking. And the same way, guaranteed services that um, if people didn't think, and he always thought health care was expensive, that we would reimburse you if you had a legitimate claim. So a lot of different ideas that were 30 years 
beyond his time, maybe. And, uh, Mr. Lewis, to that point, uh, the impact on Blanchard Valley Health System today, as we said, and for generations to come, will be felt by those innovations that were yeah, so far ahead of Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he really cut the stone ahead of his time. And uh, he literally, you said 30 years, but he was far ahead in how he created an integrated care model for this community. Mm -hmm. So based on that, you just have a strong health system, a much stronger health system in a community of equal. It's just because of his forethought of how he operated. And 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 you kind of come into this with a, a bit of a different perspective, being the uh, person who became CEO after the person who became CEO after Bill Roos. So you're kind of like the second cousin twice removed uh, on this. But you can you can sort of sit back and and take a look at the big picture and how that has put the health system as we know it today on the path. Well, absolutely. I mean, it really get, it really put us in an advantageous state for many, many years because of what he's been able to do when he was here, mm -hmm. and that carried on through Scott. And now, you know, we're now past those COVID years too. Mm -hmm. But when we get back to that foundation, you know, when we go back to that foundation of the work that we do each and every day, taking care of our patients, it really was driven by Bill. Um, is is that one of the reasons why Blanchard Valley Health System is? has always been and been able to remain independent there are so many health systems especially over the past 20 years or so that have been kind of gobbled up by the the big corporate because the mercy healths and the promedicas and and the so ons and and blanchard valley health system is still a community health system yeah, and it's really because of that integrated model that Bill Roos really put together of owning or managing or leading all those services throughout your community. And so it didn't really give an avenue or need for others to come in and solve problems because he was solving them proactively. And that is the basis of what we have today. And and I think that there's a benefit uh, in that to be so integrated with Con the community. The continuity of care is really good. I mean, you can flow through the system um, pretty smoothly and efficiently because there's just not all these different players with different goals and objectives. Our objective is really the patient um, and, and, the, and the community and the family, and that is the objective. And so we always think of quality and safety as job number one, but we need the programs and services to do that, and we have that foundation solidly built. Uh, Dr. Coz, it was not just Blanchard Valley Health System uh, either, as we mentioned, uh, you know, for all of the uh, ways that he was innovative within the hospital and the health system itself, uh, it went beyond, and he was a great servant to the community. Well, he certainly was. I mean, Bill had a had a big perspective. He was active in the Ohio Hospital Association. So uh, not just politically, but working together. I mean, we had relationships with other systems um, that we had part of Lima Memorial Hospital for a while. We did things. I think, I mean, we were a middle size, so we can't do everything without some ability to transfer patients for uh, extremely needed kinds of care. And mm -hmm. Bill had enough um, forethought to realize we can't do all these things by ourselves. So we had developed a lot of relationships. Talk a little bit about building on that uh, now, and, the, and again, making sure that we live up to that legacy moving forward. Yeah, I think that I think again that foundation is laid, but we do continue forward that every day through partnerships, integration, making sure we understand where we have gaps, and then really focusing on those gaps and services. 
behavioral health continues to be a challenge and it really became more exposed. And so that's just one example of a service or program that we have to do. So we moved a lot of our care to telehealth. So a lot of our behavioral health visits are through telehealth. You go back three years ago, we weren't doing that at all. Mm -hmm. Today, over 40% of our services delivered that way to our community. So we will continue to adapt and build to the future and really think about the future, not today. So we do want to be thinking five and 10 years ahead. And I think that's the ground that he laid for us. Some of the times when when he would do that and would think uh, you know out think outside the box or ahead of the ahead of the curve is it hard to keep up sometimes and to think yeah uh, I mean we didn't always that? I have to say now Myron didn't know him but I did he he had some crazy ideas sometimes too I thought <laughs> uh, he he loved technology he was probably the first person that I know of that had a Palm Pilot that was before it was a cell phone mm-hmm. but he could see how that was going to work one of the things when we started Physicians Plus was a smart card. It didn't work, but the idea that you'd be able to just use a credit card and all your information would be there it was highly developed as being technology, and he could see that. Same way with MRIs, CAT scans, and things like that, that we were at the forefront of, let's say, middle-sized hospitals in Ohio mm-hmm. obtaining those kind of things. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. again, they're, uh, again, perfect examples of when you come in from the outside and say, you were doing what? How long ago you were you were looking at this? that many years ago yeah i mean they were one of the early healthcare systems over what 12 years ago to bring in da vinci robots you're talking yeah they they were brand new across mm-hmm. the country people were really skeptical of them mm-hmm. and an organization like this to have several of them early on in the venture i mean that's that's a big move so you know just a few uh, a month ago actually we performed a new uh, surgery on on backs through a new um navigation system and i think we're the top first five in the united states to use that technology wow. on a patient so hmm. i mean more so right. than any other hospital in the country one of the first in the united states to use a new new technology so it's still continuing today yeah laying that groundwork that yeah. you continue continue to build on and i think it's important to sort of uh remember and and take this perspective because not everybody in the community will necessarily say there were a lot of people who knew bill roos obviously but there were it's one of those things we almost take for granted sometimes we don't think about uh where we are and how fortunate we are because uh, of individuals like that who are constantly thinking but it's that's a culture it's that's an expectation or to be looking forward and the more forward thinking you are, the more you're you're not playing catch up so much. So, but he also did it in the community in in his volunteerism. He dedicated a lot of time and trying to bring things forward in in the community for many many years. Bill, anything you'd comment? Oh, uh, he he was involved in everything. Yeah. Uh, the university he was a board member, uh, active in the church, St. Mike's. Um, his two of the last things he came up with this idea. He loved to name things. So we had these ultra senior group that I went out and talked to at sixty nor- or at fifty north, and you had to be seventy five or above to be <laughs> continually being educated, and uh, and then he was instrumental in the mobile clinic that was out at the fair. Um, he with Rotary and some others um, really pushed that, and he he was to the end. He was continually thinking about how he could make improvements, make the community better he, he really cared yeah, set a set a high bar that uh, for the rest of us to live up to and continuous learning yeah. he was a continuous learner he's taught everyone that too as well he went back to, for his 
PhD in 2016. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the in the ripe age of what 80, yeah, 81. He's 80, so not too many people do that. But that, bringing that expectation forward really sets the bar for others to follow, yeah. and I I think that is a silent message. Uh, definitely a life well lived uh, impact that Full, will be, as we said, will be yes. felt for generations to come. Again, uh, Myron Lewis is president and CEO of uh, Blanchard Valley Health System. Dr. Bill Coase, vice president of Special Projects. Thanks very much for dropping by. We certainly Thank you. appreciate Thank it. Well, it's back to school time once again, and joining us this morning is Emily Calandrelli. Uh, You know her as the Emmy-nominated host of Emily's Wonder Lab on Netflix, an MIT engineer who shares her love of science uh, with uh, kids of all ages. And this morning, she is teaming with uh, Energy for Everyone to talk about sustainable alternatives for powering school buses. Right, right. It's such an important issue. And I'm sure a lot of people listening are very similar to me in that they went to school on a diesel school bus back when they went to school. And I can still remember the smell of diesel exhaust in the morning, (laughs) brings back a lot of memories. And today there are better alternative solutions that are cleaner, things like propane school buses, which are just a little bit higher cost than, than cheap diesel buses, but you get drastically reduced emissions. You actually reduce those nitrous oxide emissions by 96 which is absolutely huge. So it's a really good solution for so many different communities today. So so why propane versus, say, uh, electric-powered buses? Yeah, that's a great question. Because when a lot of people think of clean vehicles, the first thing that comes to mind is electric. Electric uh, vehicles are really popular today. I drive drive an electric car myself. Um, I love electric. And electric buses exist. They they, School buses exist um, that are electric. But the thing that you have to... Keep in mind is that right now, electric school buses are expensive. Um, you can get three propane school buses for the price of one electric bus. And what that means is that generally the, generally the, the school districts that can afford to upgrade their entire fleet to electric are pretty wealthy. They come from richer areas. And that means it's kind of, um, kind of like a, an environmental justice issue for me, at least. And so I don't think you should have to be from a wealthy school district to be able to afford clean air, which is why I think propane school buses are such a great alternative for so many communities. And you mentioned uh, costs. Uh, the propane, any any alternative uh, energy, propane buses are uh, a bit more expensive than traditional buses. Um, when you extrapolate that out for an entire fleet, does that make it prohibitively so? Right. So when, when you're upgrading any any of your buses, it's, there's going to be money involved. And school districts are not known for having just gobs and gobs of money to throw around exactly. various things. I think exactly. we all are familiar with, with that. They just certainly don't have um, enough money for the things that they need. Um, but the, the cool solution here is that the Environmental Protection Agency, which obviously has a stake in this, they have this incredible program called the Clean School Bus Program, where they're offering $5 billion over the next five years to school districts to help them upgrade their aging diesel school bus fleet to cleaner vehicles like propane school buses. And so you can have somebody else 
pay for this upgrade, which is always nice. It's always nice to have somebody else pay for it. Um, and yeah, that's a, it's a great solution for so many different school districts. What about the uh, what about the supply of propane? I mean, obviously, propane is readily available for our gas grills and you know things of that nature. Uh, how does the supply of propane, supplying propane for school buses, work on that type of scale? Yeah, propane is everywhere. I mean, I use propane in my fire pit in my backyard. A lot of people use propane in their home. It's, it's, it's absolutely everywhere. And propane school buses have been in operation for, you know, decades now. So they, they've definitely been proven reliable over time. And right now they're actually, propane is half the price of diesel. Um, we are we're all very used to like very high gas prices at the moment, but propane is half the price of diesel, meaning the more you drive a propane school bus, the more that you save over time. And uh, those prices uh, of propane do tend to go up and down, uh, but generally uh, do so uh, much the same way as uh, as gas and diesel uh, do. So the the savings are comparable, uh, again, as the prices uh, rises and, and falls. And it should be mentioned that this can really impact the environment in terms of just sheer numbers, uh, you know, that we're that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's the reason why the Environmental Protection Agency wants to have people update their school bus fleet because it does impact the environment. Um, To learn more about how to get that money from the Environmental Protection Agency, to learn more about propane school buses and just how to start the conversation with your school district on how to upgrade your fleet, you can go to betterourbuses.com. Again, uh, Emily Calandrelli is uh, with us uh, this morning, uh, the host of Emily's Wonder Lab on Netflix. What's going on on Emily's Wonder Lab, by the way? What uh, uh, What is the latest there? <laughs> yeah, Emily's Wonder Lab is my show on Netflix that is all about science experiments. I was actually nine months pregnant when I filmed this show. So I'm a <laughs> nine-month pregnant lady teaching science on Netflix, not the kind of science representation that I had when I was a kid. Um, And we do science experiments, big science experiments and small science experiments for everybody watching to be able to do at home. Uh, Some really cool stuff. So uh, check that out on uh, Netflix and online. Emily, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Have a great day. 20 years of making mornings good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. You know, uh, this is kind of interesting. Um, A thief in Texas. Uh, Let's see here. Oh, well, no, I'm sorry. He's in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, Apparently, the, the thief... Uh, was from Texas. It was in Knoxville, Tennessee. Why, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, the story is from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, what this man stole is actually less the story uh, than what he was doing while he was stealing it. Allow me to explain. 44-year-old Enrico Core Core. C-O-E-R, Enrico Kaur, age 44, uh, needed to give his phone uh, some juice. He needed to recharge his phone. Uh, So he (laughs) went up to some random person's home and uh, began using their 
outdoor outlet. Most uh, most houses, you've got a an outlet on the outside of your house, right? Uh, for, you know, you plug in your Christmas lights or, or what have you. Uh, so he decided to help himself to this person's electricity. Um, but the reason for his arrest was not because he was stealing the electricity. Because that, you know, charging your phone actually is not a, doesn't cost a whole lot. Um, I mean, it's stealing, but it's, you know, simple stuff. Um, but what got him into trouble was what he decided to do as his phone was charging up. He decided to get a little charged up himself. He decided as he was waiting for his phone to uh, charge up, he'd do a little surfings for some online porn. (laughs) And uh, then, of course, that uh, got him all excited. And, uh, well, you can figure out what he was doing next. (laughs) Right there in full view outside this stranger's house. Happened about 1125 in the morning. And uh, (laughs) the homeowner uh, called police saying she looked out her window and saw Mr. Kaur doing his thing in full view of her bedroom window. (laughs) Police arrived and arrested uh, the man charging him with public indecency. (laughs) Didn't even bother to charge him with the actual theft (laughs) that precipitated the event just with the public indecency. That was really the, the main point. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else is going on in the uh, broken news? Um, you ever get something delivered to your home and it's the wrong address? I think we've all had that happen uh, at one time or another. You get something delivered and it's not actually for you. It's for a neighbor or you know something. Well, uh, police in New York... Uh, say a resident in Port Chester near the Connecticut border was surprised when a box of live reptiles was delivered (laughs) to the uh, wrong address. (laughs) Homeowner opened the box. It was filled with lizards and iguanas. Authorities were able to secure the animals and take them to a local animal sanctuary for the time being. No word on if the person waiting on the shipment of reptiles was identified. Figure out who exactly was waiting on a box of live reptiles. <laughs> Just unusual. <laughs> uh, let's see. <clears throat> now, this is kind of crazy. An unnamed woman in uh, New York who purchased a $19 million penthouse in Tribeca. $19 million shelled out, is now suing the Corcoran group. Is that Barbara Corcoran? The uh, shark? The shark tank? Uh, I think it is. I'm not sure, but I I believe it is. She is now suing this woman who bought this penthouse from the Corcoran group is now suing because the building does not have a full-time doorman. The woman claims that the seller and the brokers concealed the fact that there was only a part-time doorman Uh, who was on duty during the day, and a virtual doorman, an electronic doorman, at night. And now she is seeking damages in excess of $2.5 million and the reimbursement of her legal fees. The complainant says representatives went so far as to position themselves in front of the virtual doorman interface uh, 
when the woman was viewing the property in person? Because that was my initial thing. Wouldn't you have noticed that there was no doorman when you toured the property? Uh, but apparently they uh, they deliberately hid that fact. And I know it seems kind of simple and petty, but if you're going to spend $19 million on a place... Uh, I would think, yeah, in New York, you'd want a uh, you'd want a doorman for nineteen million dollars. You'd think they could afford it. So, anyway, I just thought that was uh, kind of interesting. A um, couple of other uh, odd and unusual stories. An Ohio man, and I'm not sure where Sean Douglas is from, but uh, he's from uh, Ohio. Said he was uh, vacationing in Las Vegas, swimming in the pool at the hotel where he was staying when suddenly he discovered another man who looked just like him in the same pool swim uh, in the same swimming pool sean douglas found his doppelganger unexpectedly at the flamingo hotel he says not only is the man very similar in appearance but the two were wearing similar glasses and baseball caps it was crazy uh he posted a photo online of the pair and the the resemblance is uncanny. He maintains that the two are in fact, complete strangers who met solely by chance. Uh, Mr. Douglas said, I immediately thought, holy mackerel, that guy looks just like the dude I see in the mirror. And then he says, my second thought was he actually looks cooler than me. He looks just like me, only cooler. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's kind of a crazy, crazy moment there. Have you ever met your doppelganger? Have you ever met somebody who looks like... I have not. And uh, frankly, I find it very frightening, the idea that maybe there is someone out there who looks just like me, because I would not wish that on anyone. <laughs> and finally, in the uh, broken news this morning... This was a little bit surprising, especially this is from the international file is especially surprising uh, coming out of Japan, because you would think the Japanese very technologically advanced. We get a lot of our hot new electronics out of Japan. Uh, and yet the government there has now undertaken a deliberate effort to update their technology and eliminate the use of floppy disks in all government offices. Believe it or not, nearly 2,000 government offices, government procedures in Japan still require floppy disks. <laughs> what was the last time? The uh, digital minister, it's just kind of interesting that somebody in the Japanese government has the title of digital minister, Taro Kano says, we will be reviewing these practices very swiftly. He goes on to add, where does one even buy floppy disks these days? <laughs> He's also pushing to end government use of fax machines. That's crazy. I mean, I know governments are uh, often reliant on outdated technology because, you know, of underfunding, not able to upgrade technology uh, as swiftly as the private sector but still to be using fax machines and floppy disks that's a little much the u.s defense department 
actually only completely eliminated floppy disks from its own procedures in 2019. Recently as 2019. U.S. Defense Department. They were using floppy disks. That's crazy. I had no idea. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Oktoberfest Finley is back September 24th from 2 to 10.30 downtown. This family-friendly festival has become one of the largest single-day events in Hancock County. It includes live traditional German music and entertainment, a variety of contests, authentic German food from vendors like Schmidt's Sausage House, the Kinderplatz Kid Zone, and a selection of more than 40 domestic and German beers. Admission is $5 for 21 and over, $3 under 21. Visit OktoberfestFinley.com for more info. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Do you talk to your plants, like your house plants and uh, things that you talk to your plants? Uh, in a new survey, 48% of Americans say they do indeed talk to their plants. Uh, 70% say they talk to their plants occasionally. Uh, 20%, one in five, say they talk to their plants every day. And 62% said in the survey that they believe talking to their plants has helped their mental health. Presumably, they're talking about their own mental health, not the mental health of their plants. (laughs) But if you think talking to your plants is weird, consider this. 37% say they also talk to their trees, or even trees that they walk by on the street. (laughs) 28% say they have hugged a plant. 23% say they have kissed a plant. Gary Altman, director of the Horticultural Therapy Program at Rutgers University, says having plants in and around your home or office really does help to increase positive feelings and reduce fear and stress. Uh, Just stepping away from whatever is stressing you out for a few minutes, turning to your plants, misting them, watering them, maybe talking to them, that gives you a little bit of space to provide yourself some sanctity and sanity. So, so apparently you're not crazy if you, and you're certainly not alone if you talk with your plants or talk to your plants. Well, talking to your plants, if you're talking with your plants, that may be a bit of a concern. Talking to your plants uh, is certainly not uncommon. It's hard to believe that uh, summer is pretty much over into the autumn season already. Where did it go? I tell you what, the uh, folks, Boy Scouts, keep them busy all summer long, now heading into maybe an even busier autumn. Uh, Scout Executive Mark Hogan is uh, with us uh, this morning, and you brought a guest with you here today. Good morning, Chris. Yeah, I brought Morgan Singer. She's our new district executive for the Arrowwood District, which covers Hancock and Seneca County for our council, for the Black Swamp Area Council. Morgan, welcome. To Hi, Chris. You. Thank nice you very much here. for uh, coming in. And I was going to ask, um, you know, when we talk about uh, the Black Swamp Area Boy Scout uh, Council, what, what is that? Obviously, all of Hancock County, but yes. what is that area? So we cover 13 counties wow. from uh, William in Fulton County up north, all the way, all the way down to Mercer and Auglaize County in the south, and okay. then and then we got Hardin County and Seneca County uh, to our east. 
um, down the Indiana border for on the other side. And then, but we don't have Wood County and, and Toledo. That's gotcha. that's the Erie Shores that's, Council. A, okay, because uh, I the reason I ask is because what we're going to be talking about uh, will apply to the vast majority of folks who will be listening uh, this morning, whether you're in Hancock County or not. It's yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, as we said, it's been a uh, it was a very busy summer. Got back to camp and all of that. Yeah, camp was. I would tell you, it was almost like it was pre-COVID, which was great to see kids <laughs> yeah. outdoors. Um, our, this was our second summer of our adventure camp, and that grew exponentially. And that day camp was for all youth uh, in, in elementary school age, uh, going into first grade all the way through fifth grade. So we're real excited about that program um, and how that's grown over the last year. And that was uh, a big support of that to help us get that off the ground was a, a, from a grant from the Hancock Community Foundation. And with that uh, it being open to everyone, maybe that uh, piqued some interest uh, in joining the uh, scouting program. And now you've got the recruitment underway. Yeah, absolutely. So they, those young people got a chance to experience in scouting, even if they weren't in scouting before they came to Adventure Camp. Yeah. Um, and now it's recruiting season. It's all, we're off to the races. We're joining, uh, <laughs> inviting all families to join uh, join our Cub Scout program, boys and girls kin- going into kindergarten that are now in kindergarten. All school started today. Um uh, going into kindergarten all the way through fifth grade for our Cub Scout program and then our Scouts BSA program for uh, boys and girls that are in sixth grade all the way through the age of 18. Um, so all, all of our units are going to be recruiting this fall, inviting families to join uh, what I know is and Morgan knows is the best world's best youth development program. But they have a lot of fun because we do that outdoor element in, in it. You know, one of the things, uh, and I know you wanted to uh, to mention this, is that the uh, the values that you emphasize in scouting uh, align very well with, I know in the city schools, they do the uh, leader in me, uh, the seven habits uh, programs people be familiar with. And this aligns very well with that. Yeah, the, the, the values of the Scout Oath and Law tie directly into the seven, Stephen Covey's seven habits and, mm-hmm. and reinforcement of what they're already doing in the schools to develop those soft skills to help make young people prepared for life. And uh, the uh, recruitment uh, to, to sort of even help that further along, you've got a uh, family fun day coming up uh, here. Yeah, so on, on on Saturday, September 17th from 9 to 2 at Camp Berry, uh, we're going to open camp up to the community, get to experience all the different program areas, except for the pool. Um, we'll have archery <laughs> and... Uh, uh, might be a little chilly for that. It might be chilly, yeah. September. Um, well, archery, the climbing tower, um, field games. Uh, so camp will be wide open, welcoming for not only for existing scouts, but all of our new scouts get to come for free, the ones that joined this early earlier this fall as well as families that are interested in joining. And then um, and the community can come and see what the great things and the great resource that we have uh, just south of town uh, at, at Camp Berry, right off of Route 68. So that is next Saturday, now this coming Saturday. Yes. Next S- Saturday, and that's from... 9 to 2. 9 to 2. Okay, yeah. so circle that uh, on, the, uh, on the calendar. Also, in addition to recruiting new scouts, uh, need new scout leaders yes. in this. Yeah, so no, we, we need, uh, we're always looking for volunteer leaders. Volunteers are what the magic where the scouting happens. Mm-hmm. It's the volunteer leaders that, that deliver that program week in and week out. Um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very rewarding uh, experience as a volunteer leader to deliver the scout program and the, and, the, and the relationships that you build with the young people and their families and helping them develop their character while they're having fun and then watching that light bulb go off as, they've, as they learn and they move down the advancement trail towards the rank of Eagle. You know, what's uh, interesting uh, is that, that I've found uh, people who get involved uh, as adult scout leaders 
typically stay with that program even long after their kids uh, have have aged out. That that yeah. is very very <laughs> typical as they've uh, as they've moved from uh, into into our Scouts BSA program. We'll have we'll have Scout volunteers that yeah. will stay long after their 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 son or daughter have left the scouting program and mm-hmm. have moved on and have, have started their own families but they're still uh, going camping with their troops once a month and mm-hmm. going to those weekly troop meetings not so much at the cub scout level they they'll age up mm-hmm. but it's at, at that that older level where they're still going camping with kids that aren't that, their own i think that speaks to uh how rewarding it can be for the adult uh, volunteers i uh, know absolutely yeah. and they're, and they're and they're leaving a legacy mm-hmm. on the community that's one of their ways of leaving an impact yeah. Uh, a couple of other things uh, that are going on that we want to mention right now, as I said, it's a very busy uh, and exciting autumn schedule. So you've got the recruitment, you've got the family fun day, uh, all of those things. Um, you also uh, have started popcorn sales. It's popcorn, popcorn season. Yeah. <laughs> what, I, what I love about the popcorn sale is that it's an opportunity for, for scouts to pay their own way. We're asking mm-hmm. people to buy popcorn and um, by them buying the popcorn, by the community buying popcorn, 70% of those proceeds stay here and locally. So it's not about the popcorn, but it's about supporting scouting and supporting your local scouts. And more than half of that goes directly right back into the local unit treasury so they can do it on their program and awards and keep their dues down so they can purchase the awards and recognition for the scouts as well as do those great fun trips where they're getting their character and developed. And make it accessible for uh, for yeah. everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll never turn a family away from, from joining scouting for financial reasons. We have resources to make sure that every family has an opportunity to join scouting. Um, anything else we want to mention? I know you've got uh, some other stuff that is uh, coming up on the schedule. Here. Another fundraiser that we have coming up this fall, uh, our ninth annual Sporting Clays event on September uh, 29th uh, at the Elkhorn Lake Club. Club, Hunt Club. Um, we have uh, opportunities for sporting clay teams. If you've never done sporting clays, uh, it is a great event. I like to call it. It's, it's basically it's the same kind of format uh, as, a, as a golf outing when we start at different stations. But instead of uh, trying to uh, uh, hit a golf ball, you're trying to hit uh, sporting clays. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. We, we do. It's a morning event and we finish with lunch and uh, then everybody's on their way. So we're looking forward to that. We also have some opportunities for, for station sponsors for that, as well as we have uh, two special drawings uh, and with tickets available for that so as well. So if folks are interested in learning more about that event, where do you we- go to uh, blackswampbsa.org, our council okay. website, or give us a call at our council service center, 419-422-4356. And uh, folks can get more information about uh, becoming a volunteer uh at that website as yeah, well? Yeah, they can yeah. find out about joining uh, that. They can also, if they want to sign up as a volunteer or sign up sign up their family, um, you can go to beascout.org, okay. real simple, uh, as well as look for flyers and social media posts about where your local Cub Scout pack is going to have their recruitment effort as well. And uh, you do provide uh, training and guidance and, and all of that to those volunteer uh, leaders, scout leaders, so you don't just kind of throw them into... <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we've got all the training and the resources yeah. to help make them successful all the way down to we now have a mobile app. So when you're a den leader, you, you actually can look at your phone and, and it will actually step you through the different processes of how to prepare for the meeting. You even got embedded training videos and then actually a checklist. Folks say, oh, that sounds like fun, but I had no, I would have no idea where to start. Well, you don't have to know where to start because you'll provide. Yeah, no, we'll provide all the training and resources for them. And uh, again, with the uh, recruitment, Mm -hmm. um, 
be watching for the uh, handouts. Watching for flyers. Uh, visit beascout.org. Um, and then also watch their social media posts uh, for, for where your local Cub Scout pack yeah. is having their recruitment effort. Just in yes. case those uh, forms don't make it home mm. with the kids. Yes. They don't make oh, it out like, of the backpack. After they, be, after they become scouts, they'll be more responsible. You'll get all of those things home afterwards. But, uh, you know, that, that's that sometimes dream. happens. <laughs> uh, we've got a link up on our webpage, too, for uh, more information about everything going on with uh, Boy Scouts. Again, uh, Mark and uh, Morgan, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We Chris, I just want to add, you know, we're, we're a proud United Way partner agency as well. Thanks very much for uh, dropping by. And again, go to goodmornings.net to, to learn more. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. And a big thank you to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. You can find us online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, the Supreme Court has long been considered the most distinguished branch of government. But is it just another broken institution? Dr. Scott Gerber will discuss Supreme Court reform at the University of Findlay Constitution Day event. He'll join us for a preview. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.